Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we are talking about the soon-to-be-published children's book, The Elote Man Goes to College, which was written by local authors Maya Gonzalez and illustrated by local illustrators and artists Shalome Gonzalez and Roald Tenorio. I have the three authors and illustrators on to talk about their writing process, why stories like this need to be told more often, the lives of street vendors, what is elote, the importance of education, the challenges of self-publishing, and much more. Please enjoy my conversation with these three talented writers and artists. And Baker will take us there. Guests, politics, religion, culture, art, music, show some respect to the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best. Uh, where do each of you like to eat in Fresno? Um, I'm partial to Kebab City. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to say Don Pepe's, um, but it's so small that sometimes it's hard to eat there because it's so packed with people and um, you have to like find a spot to sit. <laughs> I like Doghouse Grill. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That one's also hard to find a place. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's I a find a place to sit in those places. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about each. So um, let's start with Don Pepe. Is there multiple or is there just one? Or is there one that you have a preference for? Uh, well, I know there's the one by Fresno State, which I always used to like go to when I went to college. And then there's one um, on Blackstone. And that one, they've got an outdoor space now. So you can kind of sit outside, but... It's, both of them are still very small. Yeah. What do, you, what do you order there? What do you like to eat there? Oh, I just like tacos and a plate of rice and beans. But their tacos are so big that you could make two tacos out of one taco. Oh. Also, so you can a, get the beans on the taco. Yeah. So it's a value taco. <laughs> yeah. You get, you get a lot of taco for one taco. So, yeah. okay. Let's, I mean, I think about tacos a lot. Um all the time, actually. Uh, what what makes a good taco for you? Uh, I would say that it has a good um, like seasoning, of course, a good salsa, and I like the tacos that do include the beans. Mm, yeah, because um, that's like a good meal right there. Also, if you're not double using double tortillas, then I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> ah, so if a place doesn't have double tortillas, it's like a red flag for you. I mean, it's just, you know, something I prefer. It's a little bit more hearty, easy to hold. Okay. And you can always make a second taco out of it. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. I always just eat both tortillas together. <laughs> I mean, I never... that's, that's the adventure, right? Because you could, you could just have a giant taco. You can make two smaller ones. Yeah, and savor the flavor. Yeah. I see. I see. And do you have preferences on what kind of salsa goes on your tacos? Or it doesn't matter as long as it's good? I like green. Yeah, I would say green. I always go with the the, the green one in the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Maya, what do you like to order at Kebab City? It depends on what Kebab City I go to. But I do love the chicken shawarma pizza at the one on knees and i think that's the only one that has the pizza there yeah it's but that place it should be more busy um 
and it's beautiful inside and the food is very good. And I don't know why that place is not just packed all the time. I wonder if it's people that don't know that it's just right there chilling next to the Starbucks and whatever else is in that weird little parking lot. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's, you know, I can get in and out and other times I think last time I had to wait about 45 minutes for a table. Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. that's good news. And that's... It, might, it might be just like a weird time of day thing. Um, but yeah, it just, it could just kind of depends. Worth it though. Worth it. Okay. And then doghouse, of course, you know, I've talked about that one a lot uh, on the show and I, you know, I, I go back and forth on doghouse. I, there's sometimes where I like crave it, like kind of itching the arms crave it. Um, and there's other times where, I don't know, maybe I wish they would try new things, but at the end of the day, those fries, you know, that nothing, nothing will ever beat those fries if you're really hungry. Yeah. What do you order that when you go? Uh, try the sandwich and the fries. <laughs> <laughs> do you get, do you get more fries than you can eat? Is that your tactic? Mine too. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. Holy. So let's uh, let's talk about your book, uh, which is coming out uh, shortly after this podcast airs, and we'll talk about how uh, you guys can find access to it. Um, what are the origins of this book? What led to you wanting to create it? Are there certain uh, themes or aspects of the story that relate to your lives? And can you talk a little bit about how you uh, three came together to do this? Um, yeah, well, I worked at an elementary school library. So I had a lot of time with picture books and illustrated books and uh, what kids were interested in and what I like to read personally, what teachers like to read, the messages that were involved with some of these stories. Um, and I don't know, it just kind of happened. I think I honestly opened up my notes app and this story just came out. And I have probably had the easiest part in this whole creation of the book because once I wrote the words, uh, my part was done. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Um, but yeah, so that was in July of 2019, if my notes app is correct. Um, but yeah, the, the words just came as far as like what the story was when it came out of my brain and what it is now. It is really close there wasn't a lot of edits that we did to the actual story um and then i think you know that was pre-pandemic and we're all are working we have jobs um some of us were going to school during this time too um and then i think when the pandemic happened it just you know we didn't have the extra things to distract us from everyday life so we kind of revisited um the story and kind of took off from there. I think we maybe um, researched some book publishers and some printing and just decided, let's just do it ourselves. And then it just kind of went from there. Um, I'll have my sister Chalo talk about the, the actual, how it actually came into um, fruition with like the pictures and the words together. Yeah, well, I just want to say something about the origins really quick. Um, well, both of our parents are teachers and educators. So we grew up 
you know, hanging out at school, going to school, reading books in the library when our teacher, when our parents were, you know, finishing up their grading, we're like hanging around. And um, Maya worked at the library. So she knew like, oh, the kids really love books about this, or the kids are always checking out this book. I can't keep it on the shelf. Um, so I feel like it was just kind of like a natural thing. I'm also a counselor and I was a teacher. Uh, my sister's a librarian. Um, Rold, he has been in school for a while too. So we just all love school and reading and books. And, um, you know, we have these stories that we want to share and feel like, you know, they would touch someone else's heart. So I think that's part of the origin, um, not just the timeline of things, but why we were like, let's do this. Yeah, let's give it a, let's give it a try. Why does this story need to be told? I think also it came at a specific time in our, you know, uh, community in our country and how we're living our lives right now. Um, and the people that are, that are working really hard, right. To support their family in any ways that they can. Um, and I think I've, I've never heard this story yet. We all, especially in the central Valley, um, and in California, we all, know the story of a street vendor or we see them right we can see how hard they're working um even the the ladies that are outside you know football games and uh chipchancy park you know when the games are ready and they have the bacon wrapped hot dogs ready for you right um so these people that are working bringing their wares to where the people are um just to get by and to you know everybody wants a slice of stability and security and um the ability to achieve more, right? Um, and I think what best way to tell this story than in a in a way that it can reach, you know, our, our children, our youth, right? It is a picture book. Um, it's for, you know, a younger audience, but I think adults can get something out of it too, right? Because it's told in such a, an easy and a, a simple and heartfelt way it's easy to get the emotion because it is so simple um and i just think it's something that that we need in a time right now yeah and i th feel like like children's books um they tend to highlight obviously certain stories but also in terms of professions they highlight certain professions you know i'm, I'm just remembering as a kid i was really into space and so i read lots of there was tons of books about astronauts, you know, because yeah. I think that's something the kids think about. Um, but the stories we tell kids um, brings dignity to certain careers or certain professions or certain walks of life. And by not telling other stories, we're saying that they're less important. And so I, you know, for me, it seems like it's bringing dignity to a profession that maybe people don't know about or don't know yeah. why people do it. And I think in the story too, right, um, his daughter is excited to be a part of his day-to-day -day activities and his going to work with him is something that she's excited about, right, um, because she can see what he's doing is bringing smiles to people's lives, is like feeding them, everybody is happy to see him, um, so she can get a sense of like pride from his work. Right. She's not like, oh, my gosh, I'm embarrassed for my dad. Um, she's excited. Yeah. 
Can we talk a little bit about the artistic endeavor in creating something like this? I think there's people that, or I know people that want to create children's books and then you write the story, but then the, the artistic aspect of it just seems so kind of um, daunting like, as like a big task of creating art for so much. So um, the two of you that worked on the art, can you talk a little bit about what that process looks like? And do you create because there's two of you. So do you create some kind of like shared vision and then you do it together or do you delegate like certain people create certain pages and so on and so forth? Uh, well, the, yeah, this was the hardest part and it took the longest to draw. What is it? 30 pages of, and we did full color. Like every picture is a full background. The characters are all fully colored. And um, that was the hardest part. Um, I think when Maya wrote the story and each page or each like sentence she had, she had like a little blurb of what could be going on. So she kind of gave us direction um, because I feel like as artists, like we're just like a little bit everywhere. And so she gave us direction and some notes on each page. And um, I have been like more painting and doing more like graphic design. So my drawing skills were not like the best, but my boyfriend rolled. He's, he's a really good artist and he draws really cute characters. Um, he can also draw like, I don't know, like uh, action figure type of comic, comic book. I like the sketch and doodle. Yeah. Because uh -huh. those are different, very different artistic styles. So it seems like you, you kind of need a little bit of both for like, the background, but then for the characters, you need kind of more of a, and, and, and I feel like cartoon characters always have, you, you can see some of the artists in them because they always have a distinct style to them. And I, um, how, uh, Rald, how would you describe your style um, of your cartoon characters in this? Oh man, I, I'm not too sure. Um, Maya kind of had like, like Shalame said, she kind of had a direction uh, and descriptions of, the characters and I kind of just played around with different styles. I, I I I feel like I consider myself a student in art as well, so I like to play around with different styles. So um, I made a character for for the father and the daughter, and I showed it to Maya and Shalame, and they liked it, and they kind of just went from there. Okay, but I, I wouldn't. I don't know if I can put in. Yeah, maybe maybe just more. What I was saying is like influences, like like when you know, whenever we're creating something, we have like our library in our head of their influences, and that's more what I was asking and kind of curiosity of like where you were coming from and thinking about creating these. Oh yeah, well, I really like uh, comic books, like Marvel comics, uh, DC comics. So a lot of my inspirations from that, and I also loved like looking at pictures, picture books as a kid. So. I tried to pull from like uh, some of my favorite books that I used to read as a kid. I can't really recall any of the artist names, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And then Maya, in terms of you, like, cause you know, it's like, it's kind of, we were talking about this recently and we watched, uh, my wife and I watched a movie where we had both read the book beforehand and then saw the movie and we're both very disappointed. Um, and not to not to say what's what I'm about to say is the same. But um, Maya, when you thought of the story, did the characters match what was in your head when you wrote the story? Or did you have that kind of vision already of what it would look like? Um, I think like, 
I didn't have what I thought they would look like. Um, you know, I think it's kind of like, you know, when you read a book and uh, especially when there is like a movie, uh, at least for me, the faces are always kind of blurry, right? And it's just like the character themselves. Mm. And then once you see it, then you see the character, how they actually look. And I think that's kind of what happened. I had uh, an idea of what I would like to see, you know, in terms of uh, what's going on on the page. But it wasn't, it was really um, when Rold, you know, showed those first kind of character designs. It was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's it, right? And then we had a lot of fun of like, what are they going to wear? Um, there's a lot of like, you know, we we're like messing around with some of the faces. And does there, he have a mustache? Yeah, is his he, mustache is, was a good one. Does she have a ponytail? Does she have a braid? Is her, she's been playing around at school all day. So, you know, are her shoes untied on this one, this page? But also I want to just say like, I think we have like a dream team right here. Like this really isn't a like traditional way of coming across a book like you might like you were saying have a writer and then you have to go out and look for an artist and we were kind of just all hanging out and Maya had this idea and we both love art and we're like yeah let's do it not knowing that it was gonna be a two to almost three year process and during the pandemic we were again just hanging out at home um you know after work like we would work on the pages and Rold would provide the sketches and then I would transfer them into the color and then we would get notes from Maya. And so I kind of feel like we're all friends and we're all like family. So um, it worked out really good and we didn't get into many like debates of like, no, it needs to be like this. Um, we were just kind of like, oh, now add a little corn over here or add a bird down there. Um, so it was kind of like a unique situation i feel like of how this book came about and i feel like that's unusual because typically when you envision artists in your mind they're all just like egotistical like i have a perfect vision of the world and this is what i think it should look like and i'm willing to lay down in traffic to fight for what i want but it sounds like you were all very diplomatic with each other which is sounds like a dream of creating something um is there anything that you wish you would have known at the beginning that you know now so much oh my gosh it wasn't even like i said my my part was relatively easy compared to like the actual illustrating um and that part it it did last a long time but probably the hardest part was we had it done you know the 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 pages were what we looked like the illustrations were exactly you know what we were looking for the story was great um but it was the formatting everything to be mass printed was I wanted to rip my hair out <laughs> yeah there was many versions um, we had to send it back and forth and we were working with a printer overseas because we wanted to do everything ourselves so we had to be very clear on what was going where there was many edits um so it that was the hardest part um putting everything together in the manuscript and formatting it was the hardest part because we had to keep going back and forth. So I feel like now that we, now that we've been through this process, now when we start it, we will already know the format to put it in. So we don't have to keep changing it. 
Yeah, and it was going from, you know, like my words on a Google Doc between rolled like paper sketches scanned into an iPad program to draw, transferred to Photoshop. Photoshop. <laughs> like it was insane. The amount of things converted to a PDF and the printer wants a certain um a color mode so you can't just have um the coloring of all the pictures has to be spot on so you have to format that and so all these layers you know have to be flattened down um and so you want your picture to still look vibrant but it it is printed so yeah the amount of files that are like draft 2.1 draft 3.4 you know it's like we didn't know what to name them anymore because there were so many revisions <laughs> and drafts <laughs> draft damn it again yeah. uh yeah no it it i i've dealt with some formatting stuff in putting together a kindle book and that was incredibly taxing and then when it i checked it after i published it on amazon it was wrong and then i fixed it and i thought i'd fixed it and then again and I, I i don't know if there needs to be better systems uh for people to self-publish um and i imagine it also a lot of it has to do with who you choose to work with too and how flexible they are and how helpful they are. Um, but it certainly seems complicated. I, I do want to talk a little bit about corn now, um, <laughs> uh, specifically elote. Um, and I know that there's lots of different words for corn in Spanish, um, but the elote that we're talking about refers specifically to street food that comes, you know, it's a corn on the cob with certain things on top. Now, um, could you give me a definition, your definition of elote, and then talk about the different kinds that you might encounter? Um, and for someone who's never had it, why should they go get some? Yeah, I think I've seen elote also called, you know, in like uh, culinary magazines and culinary circles, uh, Mexican street corn, hmm. right? That is, <laughs> I've seen that a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, a, a corn on the cob, right? There's usually a stick pushed through the, the middle. It's steamed. Um, and, you know, they tear the husk off. It is then slathered in probably some, at least some butter, some mayonnaise. Um, there's usually like some chile on top, either like tahine or um, even yeah. like a salsa of some sort. Some powdered um, or dry cheese yeah parmesan cheese um parmesan cheese the uh like mexican oaxaca cheese i've seen that before there's also corn in a cup which is mm. uh you know like corn kernels and with the same toppings mm -hmm. you gotta have the staple um cheese mayonnaise and chile and then you can get fancy you know you could um get other toppings sometimes they do like food coloring and it can make it like a unicorn um colored cheeses oh you can like put some crushed up hot cheetos along the top i've seen that too <laughs> and yeah. lemon and lime yeah so it if you don't if you've never had one you need to go right now to your local street vendor and get one because it's life-changing it's just creamy juicy like citrusy and bright um all the flavors like a party in your mouth. I, I will tell you, and this is speaking as, you know, a very white person, um, the initial turnoff for me before I had it, or the thing that caused me to hesitate in getting one 
initially was the mayonnaise. Like I did not understand, like I picked, you know, cause when you picture mayonnaise in your head, you picture like a glob of something that's jiggling. And yeah. so I was picturing that in corn um, and just going like, I don't know what that, what that means. So, you know, for those, of, for those people listening that are maybe have a fear of mayonnaise uh, being used on things, what, 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 how would you help them get to that place where they get some elote themselves? I mean, they definitely can, you know, you can ask your, your uh, elotero to not put mayonnaise there. You can, you can customize your elote. But you need it, right? You need it, I right? mean, yeah, you do. Um, I like to go a little light on the, on the mayo. Um, that's just me because I also have that. There's just something <laughs> that you think is weird about it. But also think of like potato salad. A uh, coleslaw, pasta salad. Yeah, think of it like a sauce, and it's holding all your other like ingredients, all your crunchy cheese and um, chile. It's holding it all together. So when you take a bite, um, you're not just biting into mayonnaise. You're yeah. biting into that <laughs> corn, which is the the you know foundation. And also, if you get it in the cup, you can kind of you know stir it around and customize it. But it's an aioli. Yeah, there you go. See, that's what you, you just got to give people a different word. And then they're just yeah. like, oh, well, I love alien. Oh, you love mayonnaise. Yeah. Um, so um, there, there's a famous, um, a famous part of a book um, by this uh, French author named Proust, um, where he uh, has this moment where he bites into this mandolin, which is this kind of French cookie. And in, in biting into that cookie, he's transported to somewhere um, some memory uh, that kind of uh, kind of comes back just suddenly by the taste of the cookie. And that was actually made uh, popularized in the movie Ratatouille uh, when the kind of oh, like yeah. the evil uh, critic uh, bites into the famous uh, squash dish called Ratatouille um, or squash and tomato. Um, and he is transported to his, you know, cottage home with his mother. Um, would you guys bite into a lote? Where do you transport it? I think I don't know, like LA, like a big, I know. I, I, I want to like, say like a busy city, just because that's where I would usually purchase one, or like Mexico City, like downtown, just like walking around. Um, you're like, man, I need to get something to eat, and what is gonna satisfy me is a juicy elote. Um, I want to say the beach, but they're very messy. You know, you're gonna need some napkins, so I feel like. That might not be a good mix. <laughs> yeah, I think of like a good, um, you know, think of like your, like a sh really fun street fair. You know, you're with your your friends, you're with your family. Um, you're drinking like a nice cold, uh, maybe like a, a jarito soda, something like that. You know, it's very down to earth. You know, you're with your, you're with your people, you're in your community. Um, that's where I am transported to just being like here on the streets with my friends, with my family, enjoying a day, you know, in my city, in my town. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, you know, it's connected to street vendors, which we're going to talk about in a second. So it's, it just kind of, it's not, it almost feels like a, in what you're describing, it's kind of like a social activity. Like you're not doing, you're not, you're not eating a lote at home in your bedroom by yourself on your bed. It <laughs> feels like something because it has a carrying device as part of it. So it's something that you do when you're out and you're not just kind of sitting somewhere. Yeah. It's like a fair. It's like a, um, you know, like a street 
yeah. uh, party, something like that, you know? Yeah. What about you, Rob? Um, I have not <laughs> had an old <laughs> I'm more of a bacon wrap hot dog kind of person. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. You see, and I, I tend to be that camp too. I used to go to this, uh, when I lived down south, I used to go to this kind of hip hop show in Highland Park uh, that was once a month. Um, and, you know, eight beers later, like you go outside and you're just like, you're, you're like dehydrated. You're like pretty haggard at this point. You've been sitting like you're covered in sweat. And then there was this, always this row of women with bacon wrap hot dogs, just sitting there waiting for you. It was like, it was like, um, like, you know, in those movies where the fish are all streaming somewhere, there's a giant net and they just all go into the net. (laughs) That was all of us. And, you know, I would wait there for half an hour to get one when I could have been home asleep or whatever. But I just, that moment when you bit into that at two 30 in the morning was, it was worth everything. So I'm right there with you. Let's, (laughs) let's, let's, Let's talk about street vendors now. Um, so in 2018, they they passed a law to protect street vendors. Um, and you only pass a law to protect someone if they're being attacked. Um, you know, that's the nature of why those things exist. Um, and there was the famous case in Fresno about the street vendor that sadly was shot and killed. Um, how do you think street vendors are perceived in our society? Um, and then maybe by different groups? Um, what what role do you see them having and how do you think they're viewed and how should they be viewed? I mean, I think um, definitely, especially recently, you know, there's not only that one case, there's been multiple um, attacks on street vendors recently here in Fresno. Um, and, you know, they are extremely vulnerable. They don't have a storefront. They're not protected by a door or a place of business. They are walking the streets, riding a bicycle, you know, maybe in they're in a car. Um, and you said to yourself, these ladies are, you know, waiting outside nightclubs or places that are late at night, right? Um, when their clientele could be, you know, intoxicated, they're not sober, um, things always escalate, right? Uh, so they're putting themselves in these these areas and in these situations that can be dangerous um, because they are, you know, they're going where the people are. They're trying to make their, make their, their money, sell their products. Um, and the lengths in which they go to do that can be very, very dangerous. Um, yeah, even the people like selling flowers, you know, they're kind of sometimes on like corners that are very busy, but are also away from like just people like, so they're selling, you know, cups of fruit or flowers or even, you know, little um, things for the holidays. And I always think I'm like, man, they're out here all day. It's cold. Um, you know, they're probably just providing for their family. So anytime I can, you know, purchase something, I will. Um, even the man on our street here, he's always selling mangoes. So, you know, I'll dice up those mangoes and freeze them if I could buy a carton from him. But I know that they probably have a family, so that's why they're out here all day. Um, when I go to work, I see them. When I come back from work, they're still there. So I, I just see them as extremely hardworking and providing for their family. Um, and probably so their kids don't have to do that. They are out there doing it for, for their kids, um, you know, giving them a better life. 
And you know, it's it's not it's not cheap to lease a space to purchase all the equipment you need to have to be able to code and do all these things. So there's all these barriers for people that just want to, you know, hustle and make, have their own business and make, make money on their own terms. Um, and I do feel like that's, you know, I was, before we started recording, we were, I would mention that I was reading about some of the things going on in San Diego, uh, how a lot of uh, merchant groups down there are, you know, organizing against street vendors um, and just how disheartening that is because, you know, a street vendor and a storefront vendor, they're in the same business. Um, one just has more capital than the other. Um, and I'm sure that if you, you know, if a street vendor had the resources to open up a storefront, they would want to do that. And it's not that they don't, it's just that it takes a lot to get there. And so I, for me, it just, it just feels like something that is just, um, you know, as a, as a society, um, you know, we need to work hard to protect those that are most vulnerable. Cause if they're walking around with a bunch of cash from selling fruit all day, um, and you know, another desperate person, um, could see them as a, an easy way to feed their family. And maybe if you're a street vendor and you're maybe not, you know, your, your city is not, working hard to protect you, it can feel pretty scary, I imagine. Yeah. And there's also like, you know, if you have a, a, a bicycle cart or you're pushing your cart, um, you know, you're a, a lowly street vendor. If you have a storefront, you're a, you're a, a, a store owner, a restauranteur. Um, if you have a food truck, you're trendy and hip, right? Um, even though you're mobile as well. So it's, it's hard, especially um, in Fresno, where the areas where it was easy to get spaces, you know, Fulton, um, Fulton Mall, downtown Fresno, uh, it was easy for small business owners to get little storefronts. Um, but things are changing, right? Those, those people are getting pushed out. Um, and now we can't expect them to raise, you know, some of those food trucks, they're not cheap they are extremely expensive especially if you want one that has a full kitchen and is up to code um yeah it's it's hard it's hard for everybody and that's why that movie um <laughs> that john favreau made where he has the food truck um oh yeah it kind of pisses me off because he he just has some his ex-wives ex-husband just gives him a food truck and is like here you go and it's like that's not most people's story not someone not everyone knows some kind of rich business owner that's just going to give them a food truck like the the journey to that food truck might be a lot of sacrifice yeah um, also his house was like really nice too <laughs> i know yeah there's all kinds of problems with that movie um but it's i still enjoy it um Let's talk about the ending of the book and, you know, spoiler alert, here we go. Um, the book, I, I won't say it has a twist ending, um, but the ending uh, takes it in a direction maybe a reader might not see it going uh, with what the father does. Can you talk a little bit about the ending and why you chose to end the book that way? I mean, yeah, not spoiler alert because the title of the book is true fair enough telling right so the title mm -hmm. is the lebanon goes to college i think the the twist is um you know he doesn't go to college until the end 
right? We we don't see him arriving the first day with his books, right? We see the story leading up to it and the um, the value of education that he is instilling in his daughter, right? Um, and I think also at the end too, you don't see him. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because uh, this story is very emotional, right? Um, yeah. And uh, you don't see him going. I don't think he he understands that that life can also be for him mm-hmm. until his daughter gives him that. Mm-hmm. Right? She uh, she kind of instills that back into him because now he doesn't have to work so hard, right? Um, she's she's in a better place because of how hard he works, and now he's able to do um, that for himself. And yeah, I mean, it was like back and forth of like, do we change the title? Because we don't see him, you know, like in a college classroom. Um, But I also don't think that you need it. I don't know. Maybe that's me being a a stubborn um, author, I guess, and a stubborn creator from it. Um, But I also don't, I don't know. I, I like it. I like how it ends, and I like how uh, you, as a reader, are able to to fill in that that timeline, right? Um, and I also like when I finished it. I imagined myself like reading it to 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 students, to reading it to children, and asking them, um, you know, what do you think that he got his degree in? Mm-hmm. Right, you, Jordan, you read it. Um, what do you think he got his degree in? I have an idea, but I don't know. I hope not business management, but I think maybe. Think you maybe because <laughs> he seems like an entrepreneur. So, or maybe, maybe, maybe he went to Cordon Bleu. I don't know. Maybe he's opening a yeah, restaurant I, now. Yeah, I was thinking like culinary science. Like he's yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. the next flavor of elote or something. Yeah. Well, what did you think? Um, well, I was kind of. Same boat, uh, thinking he might have been in a business. Open his own restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's no, there is definitely no wrong answer. I think uh, that he went into something like completely different. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to say he's in like. um, Library science. Oh my gosh. (laughs) No, maybe he's in like, uh, like still life art or like, you know, I don't know. Maybe he's something else. I see uh, his daughter, Marisol. I see her. Um, doing like the business, right? Mm. Yeah, because um, she knew to go to the the yeah. zoo. I mean, he to, said yeah, right yeah, yeah. there uh, that she's an excellent um, business businesswoman. But this is like the great part of the ending of the book because it kind of opens up discussion, and you know, even classrooms can like, okay, let's write a little bit about what you thought. You know, they finished with at the end, so it it kind of continues the conversation. It doesn't end the book and then it's done, you know. And it also shows different pathways to college too, right? Because like, you know, he is going to college the whole time, like he's on his way to college, but it's not the traditional journey um, because he has to provide for his family first before he can do that. And that's the story of a lot of parents, you know, a lot of parents that had to, you know, take care of their kids initially uh, before they could do things and pursue, pursue things like college degrees. And, um, 
you know, I think there's a lot. And, you know, when I think about my students and I've met the parents of my students, I see a lot of parents that have had to sacrifice quite a bit and work really hard um, to get their kids uh, to places like college. So um, it's a very touching book. And I, I, I also wondered when I opened it up the first time, when's he getting to college? But I think at yeah. the end, I think at the end, it all makes sense because it's kind of a, a bigger story about uh, families and um, how, how, you know, what parents do for us. Um, it's a very sweet book that really uh, caused me to, to pause and think quite a bit. So um, let's talk now and kind of close with uh, book recommendations of your own and then talk about uh, kind of when the book's coming out, where people can find it and that kind of stuff. So um, if you each want to share some of uh, some books that you've been reading, this is how we end every podcast episode is share our own books or interests. And those can, those can include comic books as well. Uh, comic books are on the table um, or, or really whatever, whatever you want to share um, things that have been uh, important to you recently. Obviously I'm a book nerd because I am a librarian uh, and I think I force books onto my sister and by proxy rolled and everyone in my uh friend and family circle right um i really love like i said i do love children's books um i think they're fantastic and i think they have the ability to say a lot of different things i will never ever read the giving circle again or the giving tree again because i cried so much I hated checking it out to students because I was like, you don't even know what you're getting yourself into. And of course they didn't because only me as a 30 year old now uh, can really like feel and like feel the impact of that story. Um, but I like, you know, I like fantasy. I like science fiction. I like fiction books. Um, Talk about fantasy. Um, I have trouble getting into that genre. What's a good fantasy book you've read recently? Oh, recently? Or um, what is one of your favorites? One of my favorites, uh, it's called um, Name of the Wind by Patrick something. I, I'm not very good with authors. I only am very good with titles of the book. Uh, it's like so good. I have nothing to say about it. It's okay. Something. It's not like super fantasy. Um but I think there's always like a time when I start a new fantasy book where I'm like, you know, the names are different. There's a lot of explanation of this mm. world. Um, but Name of the Wind kind of just goes into uh, there is some magic, but it's also just a story of a boy who is um, trying to find his way in the world. Right. Kind of like a like a Harry Potter ish. Um, but a little bit more adults and he has to, uh, come to terms with some really heavy things. For someone that reads fantasy, would you say Harry Potter is over or underrated? Uh, I mean, you know, it was definitely like my gateway into reading because like fourth grade me reading all of the the series up until that point, you know, under my covers at night, going to the book releases, obviously that was like 
Yeah, we, a we, huge part. When you were around for the time of Harry Potter, mm-hmm. like when it was not the movies, it wasn't the, all this other stuff. Then, you know, it was just pure enjoyment. Um, now reading them again, I, I don't know. I have a different perspective. Yeah, I think you have a different view. And uh, how do we feel now that it's been revealed that Emma Watson had a crush on what was his name? Uh, Felton, Tom Felton, the oh, guy that played yeah, Draco. Right? She had a, Does that change the movies yeah. for you now? I mean, no, no I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little, also like, a little tea for yeah, yeah. I guess that's something for like us as that generation right when we were growing up with it and we um, are kind of like the same age as mm. those all the characters and all the um the actors during that time i think now it's like ooh scandalous uh, mm-hmm. but also you know it doesn't really change anything for me because i don't know it was that was a long time ago what was it like the 10-year reunion it was such a bully in 20 the- years 20 oh my 20 God. years yeah. Time flies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. For me, well, me, I like like murder mystery type of books, but I can't read them too late at night because then I'll dream about them. <laughs> um, so Maya will recommend me some like murder mystery books. Um, and then I've also been getting into comic books because I have been trying to practice drawing better, like, um, and Spider-Man just came out, so I'm really into, like, hunting down all the Spider-Man comics, and, um, also, um, what are those called, where you keep scrolling? Oh, Webtoons. Webtoons. I, I got them into some Webtoons. <laughs> mm, nice. Yeah. yeah, just for the art of it, because I, I like to see what other artists, like, medium, how they're telling a story, um, what are they using, um, yeah, so I'll go sit in the, like, anime or teen section at um, Barnes and Noble trying not to be a weirdo (laughs) but that's my area right there um yeah so I wasn't really big on reading as a kid but I uh was like always gravitated towards um Roald Dahl just because he was the only person I've ever seen with the same name as as mine and Mm -hmm. surprisingly those the books he's written were amazing and majority of his books are movies <laughs> yeah so i would recommend some also the art right yeah. is uh-huh. so um, unique you're so unique and like you immediately know that that's a roll doll mm-hmm. book yes yeah so i would recommend roll doll books to anyone <laughs> bft matilda yeah james and the giant p james and well, let's let's finish by talking about where people can find the book, and then if there's a sequel with a fruit cart, maybe on the works. Oh, yeah, we can talk about some of the uh, some of the things we have down the pipeline now that we know how to do this. Um, well, first things first is we're gonna have a book release um, at Arte Americas, and it's gonna be on January twentieth. It's a Thursday from six to eight p.m. We're going to start with a light refreshment, so you can guess what the refreshments will be. Um, <laughs> there you they go. are inspired by the book. Um, and then we're going to have a book reading, and our dad, um, who is really good at telling stories, he's going to give a book reading. And then after, you can pick up your signed copy of the book. Also, after that, we will have them on sale online. 
at mikamisa.com and it's m-i-i-c-a-m-i-s-a.com and that will be at the end of the month and we'll be posting it um, on all of our social medias to let you know that it's available online well, and that's the perfect time if you have not had a lote too. This would be the perfect excuse to to try it. So maybe just get off the couch and come get some corn. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then what's next in the pipeline? Oh, um, there is probably I've already written one. The door, the the words are done, right? Um, we have a couple more that we want to include, um, and some of them are going to be. You know, you might see Diego pushing his cart in the background. You might see, um, you know, some of these, the, the fruit the fruit lady, she might be there um, somewhere in there. We want to kind of build our own little world, right, where these characters can exist together. Um, and we're just telling different, different stories of the community. Um, yeah, and then we also have some, some silly ones, right? Always, I, like I said, I, I think I know what what kids gravitate towards, right? As far as like a story, um, but also instilling a message in there where uh, they're learning something, and also like for the adults that are reading it, right? I think uh, that's important that there's can be some some feelings and emotion uh, that's able to come from these silly pictures that these guys are gonna draw. Yeah, and they're all like stories within, you know, like. The Latino community and because these stories they need to be told and um, it's good that you know we have more writers of of our culture and background and if we can do it anybody can do it so that's what we want to um, to tell all the kids out there if you love to draw and doodle you might have a book one day so um, you know keep doing that if that's what brings you joy Publishing is power, um, and we need to give more people power to publish their stories. Um, and so I appreciate what you all are doing um, in telling stories that need to be told. So thank you so much. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. Thanks for listening, folks. Hopefully you go out to their event this Thursday to buy a book. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do that by either leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's Best. We'll see you next time. <laughs>